0: Okay, so in one of my favorite books of ever, American Gods, the magical Neil Gaiman takes us to a place where every year in the winter, after the temperature drops below zero, the lake freezes into an ice sheet and the locals, they drag a junkyard car, haul it to the middle of the lake and then they raise money for a local charity. By raffling off tickets, each ticket detailing a precise time. that in the spring, that car is going to break the ice and sink beneath the water. Whoever calls it closest gets the big prize. Now, I'm from Michigan, and this is a real thing in places I grew up. It's how the PTA raises money for the high school basketball uniforms. Or maybe a new roof for the firehouse. In fact, people have been known to make sure they're holding the winning ticket with a sticker to a well-placed dynamite so that the car sinks when it's supposed to. But this past year, my old stomping grounds, they couldn't have the contest. No raffle for after-school programs, no sticks of dynamite, because for the first time in living memory, the lake didn't freeze over and being from this place it's hard to adequately express the surprise the shock our connection to the cold we revel in it we fetishize it we play and work and roll and sleep and run and fish in it this is not just a thing to reckon with out there this is the thing that touches the soul and in the book a deity arrives to maybe set things right, but today on Snap Judgment, no God's magic answers from the sky. Instead, instead, I know a guy. Snap Judgment probably presents Not So Tiny Dancer. My name is Glenn Washington. Bundle up. Winter is still coming when you're listening to Snap Judgment. We begin even further north than Michigan, the banks of the Hudson Bay in the middle of Canada. in the 1970s, a young kid named Dennis Comperi did would play in the streets with his friends. Snap judgment.
1: It was a happy place to grow up in. There wasn't many rules or regulations for a young kid. We could play, you know, road hockey until we dropped dead all, you know, just about all winter. There was no street lights or anything like that so when it got dark we played road hockey with you know with the northern lights shining up over us and it really did help you increase your visibility which is pretty cool it was i don't know how many hundreds of thousands tons of gravel they crushed to lay, lay the foundation down for the town but there was being that far north there was no lawns or greenery like you would see further south as a kid growing up in Churchill, you know, our our boogeyman, you know, our, our bad guy was always the polar bear.
2: The bears did come ambling through the town of Churchill. They'd walk by the school, the airport, and if they were hungry.
1: Bears would take dogs off the chains, for sure. Uh, and they still, they're still they still doing it. You know, do- bears were always in our the back of our mind.
2: Can you describe what would happen in the town if there was a polar bear coming through
1: uh, there was a telephone system. The phone would ring and it would let you know. But the, the main way of knowing if there was a bear in town was the dogs acted up. You know, they, as soon as the, one dog smelt the bear or noticed that there was a bear around, he there was a, kind of a specific dog howl, because most of the dogs were huskies, that every dog in town would pick up and uh, you knew it was time to get the hell home or, or you know, or figure out what, what you're going to do. Uh, you know, the houses we lived in in Churchill at that time were, were not very uh, well built. They were they're basically shacks. And I, my father would kill me for saying this, but you know the walls were thin, and and uh, you know in the dead of winter when you crawl into your bed at night, if the wind was howling and there was a lot of thumps or whatever on your house, it was you were worried it was a bear coming to get you. People were dead. Scared to death of bears back in the day, they figured if the bear could see you through the window, he's going to come for you, so you just you turned the lights off, and my father would haul out his his rifle and and make sure it's it was loaded and put it by the door just in case I constantly had nightmares about polar bears i mean that was that's uh, that was the demons you had to fight.
2: And what um, was it? The same polar bear in your nightmares, or was it just uh, different ones?
1: No, it was the same guy. He he, uh, he was called the bear.
2: <laughs> did you tell your parents that you, or did you tell anybody?
1: No, no. You know, I uh, I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't dare tell my dad about my nightmares. He he'd throw me out in the snowbank and make me work work through it. But no, nothing much was said said about that. Hmm. One time I was out playing road hockey till all hours of the night and the dog howl come, come up and I thought, well, i got to get going home. It was pitch black, so I started going for the house and the dogs got louder and louder. And, uh, you know, I was riding running for dear life home, so already my heart was pounding a 1,000 miles. And we, the, each side of the road was long ditches, so you're going down into a ditch and up on the road and down into a ditch. And uh, our house was just across the road from this ditch. I could see the light in, in Mum's kitchen, right there on the road, right in front of me. It was this big old bear, and he was huge. And uh, he just he just, just stood still, stood didn't didn't move, just just like a statue. He had these watery looking eyes, you know. The head slung low, and he was kind of looking at me through these ancient eyes. So I thought my life was over, you know, this is how I'm going to end. My legs were starting to give out, but I thought, well, I can't, I can't stop. And it just something, something just lifted me up and carried me up over onto the road and just crossing right in front of, of the bear. And I was carrying my hockey stick and I just held my stick out. When I finally got it to our porch and I didn't, Go into the house I just stood there stunned for a second then I looked back at the bear. We locked eyes for about three or four seconds and that was absolutely amazing. And because he was an older bear there was his muzzle was showed black because the hairs on his head was kind of thin and then I swear to God he just huffed and turned his head <laughs> away and just ambled down the road.
2: For many generations, Dennis and the rest of the town of Churchill had lived their lives avoiding the bears. But as the 70s turned into the 80s, polar bears became an object of fascination for the rest of the world. An opportunity started to develop in the town, the business of taking tourists out onto the ice to see these massive creatures. How did you, from being a kid who was so scared of bears, how did you end up in this business?
1: Well, the guy who built the buggies, my friend Len, needed a driver, and uh, I said, "Sure, this sounds like fun." So let's go. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't walking out on out in the land looking for bears. I was inside a, a tin can with tires on it, you know. So it was relatively f- safe in my mind. So
2: this tin can that he would be driving was an invention of his and his friend Len's. It was kind of a monster truck tour bus that they built to take out on the ice.
1: Well, you take the chassis of a five-ton fire truck, then you take a bunch of great big tires off farm equipment, and you, you put you that... We got an
2: old engine, together, 12 seats from a school bus, a little platform for a propane heater with a chimney cut through the roof. Somewhere.
1: And across from the propane heater was a, a cut-out seat and a five-gallon bucket for the, you know, for the toilet. And uh, away you went. That was, that was buggy one. That's how, uh, that's how we went to see the bears.
2: You were going to be the first driver of this buggy?
1: I was the first driver, yeah.
2: How did that, were you nervous? How did that feel?
1: <laughs> well, you, like anything else, you can't let them see you sweat, right? You you just jump in and go, and you had unsuspecting paying guests there who didn't have a, a clue. And more often than not, because the the, the original buggy was not 100% uh, you know, doable, so to speak. There was often breakdowns, and we didn't even have a radio system back there. So if a breakdown occurred, I just turned up the propane heater and grabbed my shotgun and walked back to where there was a phone in, in the phone to land to come and rescue us.
2: Dennis led tundra buggy tours further and further out onto the ice to Cape Churchill to try and see more polar bears in their natural habitat. Hunting for seals, wrestling on the snow, raising their young... One afternoon a family of polar bears came ambling by and got very close to the buggy.
1: This mother and two cubs start walking towards the buggy, and the cubs were eleven years old eleven months old at that time. And usually they just pass us by without any without anything at all. But as they went by, the last little guy he took a look my way and he seen me and he took an interest in me. And he kind of you know, rambled over to where I was and was having a good look at me and I thought this was pretty cool uh, he didn't heed his mother when she stopped to call him he just stayed there and, and uh, you know trying to figure out who I was but finally his, the mother got his attention and away he went so the next day we went back to the same area and sure enough we found that mother and two cubs again uh, resting that time but when we got close that same cub took up another interest in me and he come to the back and at that point I said this is kind of cool so I played a little game with him where I'd duck down behind the wall of on the deck and he couldn't see me anymore then I would pop up and you know he took great delight in that and then I ducked down again and because he couldn't see me he would stand up on his back legs and walk backwards you know to get a better look and when I popped up again, it, it, I burst out laughing. It looked like he was trying to dance. It was the most comical thing. So we would do this every time we found each other out at Cape Churchill for the next three weeks. It was a smart bear, and we got this kind of connection together.
2: Dennis named the baby bear Dancer because of the peekaboo dance he would do. And at the end of that polar bear season, Dennis went back home to Churchill and didn't see Dancer again through the spring and the summer. The next year, when the ice returned and it was time to fire up the buggy again, Dennis went back out to the Cape.
1: And uh, the next year, sure enough, I went back, and sure enough, he found us again. This time he was two years old, and we played that same game. I'd talk to him and this and that and get a kick out of him. He was pretty cool bear. You know, when an animal, when a wild animal kind of takes an interest in you, it's a special thing. You feel kind of privileged, and so, you know, you, uh, you're looking forward to those encounters again.
2: The next year and the next year, when Dennis would take out the buggy in the winter season after the ice froze over to take Taurus out, Dancer would somehow find him.
1: And we did that for the next three or four years as it got bigger.
2: But then Dennis stopped driving all the way out to Cape Churchill. The polar bear business was getting fancier and more buttoned up. It got new owners. They didn't want a scruffy guy like Tim driving tourists for days out onto the ice. He says he was more deadhead and the industry had become more bank manager. So they had him doing work closer to town.
1: I never went back to the Cape for about five or six years.
2: Five or six years. And after those five or six years, Dennis really wanted to get back out to the Cape. He wanted to find a way to get there on his own, without a school bus full of tourists.
1: I was on the computer, and of course I'm interested in animals, and all of a sudden I clicked into this thing called AfriCam, where these, they had live cameras at these watering holes in Kruger National Park in South Africa. So I emailed the guy, he said, Listen, you guys want to switch things up and, and do polar bears, not, not thinking anything would ever become of it. So the next morning, when I opened up my mail, there was a message. They so said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's let's get this thing going. And sure enough, three months later, three guys from South Africa landed in Churchill with enough equipment for me to set up a, a live cam for, for polar bears.
2: He asked if he could set up the webcam in Old Buggy One, his first love. He made the argument that it would drive customers to the business.
1: When I when I took over buggy one to go do the webcam, buggy one was in the in, was in the the garbage heap. It was done. His day was over. So I resurrected it. I I, uh, I rebuilt it. I tore out the seats on the inside and built myself a, a bed and and made room for the camera gear and and this and that.
2: But Dennis couldn't drive back out to the same spot on the cape where he'd seen Dancer years before, because the ice had changed. There wasn't enough ice to drive out there anymore, it just wasn't accessible. He was going to have to go to a different area.
1: For us to get to Cape Churchill, the ice, the, you had to have land fast ice, which is ice that forms on the land and grows out first, and we travel on that to get to the Cape. But that wasn't happening anymore.
2: So this was going to be a new adventure, taking a different route, and he probably wouldn't see Dancer.
1: I didn't think it was going to happen. I always hoped it happened because I knew they're, the, uh, I know they're they're smart bears and this and that, and I knew there was a bit of change in in the ice formation and this and that. I didn't, I didn't think it was a probability. I never seen them for about six or seven years.
2: So Dennis drove the new route out to the cape, plugged in his webcam, and sat alone in the buggy watching, and waiting.
0: Oh, yes. You're going to want to hear what happens next to Dennis in his makeshift bus on the edge of the frozen Hudson Bay. Stay tuned. Support for Stamp Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything, CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the not-so-tiny dancer episode when we left Dennis, he had set up his webcam and was quietly hoping to see his old pal Dancer one more time.
1: It was around the first week of November, and I'll always remember these days. I woke up early, as I always do, with the binoculars and trained the camera on whatever I could find. I uh, put the binoculars down and was drinking my coffee and all of a sudden there was a big whomp on the buggy. Something shook the buggy and I thought, oh my lord, what the hell's going on here? It was pretty pretty harsh. It rock, rocked the hell out of the buggy and spilt my coffee. I said, well my lord, what's going on? The windows was frosted up so I took a scraper and I scraped a patch of the windows that I could look out of and when I looked out, there was this great, great big bloody bear staring at me in the face and when he seen me he got up and walked backwards it was dancer he found me after after six years so I I just about dropped dropped to the floor so there was my old buddy i never seen for six or seven years and he's you know 50 mile, 50 kilometers away from where we usually met he uh he searched me out and, and there I was
2: how'd you know it was him
1: Oh, my God, nobody could dance like him. Come on, how many dancing bears do you think there is out there? Of course that was him. And he did he did have some telltale scars on his nose, you know, and stuff like that from way back in the day. So, yeah, no, there, I, and he had a special shape and a special walk to him. And he was very animated uh, and very goofy. You know, I, I instantly knew it was him. He was a bear's bear. He was... You know, he he was just packed with muscles everywhere, and he had this comical expression on him. He, you know, a lot of the bears they they have a concerned look. You know, where am I going to get my next meal? What's am I going to get into a fight, this or that? But Dancer never he never looked like that. He looked like he was always content and always always had a bit of an amused look on his face, like he was chuckling to a... Some kind of a long joke. So that's that's what really intrigued me about him, that he didn't seem to have a care in the world. You know, I think I mentioned before that a bear's behind the size of a bear's behind tells if if he's a good hunter or not. You know, the more the more big the behind is, the more of a warrior this bear was and the dancer had a huge behind. So every year for the next five or six years after that. Around the first week of November, he would find me again. and didn't matter where I was along that coast. He would wake me up for, depends on the time of the day, but a big wallop on the side of the buggy. And I'd slide the window open, and he would uh, stick his big head in there. And, you know, bears, they gather all their information through their nose and take a big whiff, and you could, you know, just cause a small hurricane inside the buggy. And uh, we'd visit each other for the next two or three weeks until the bay froze over and away he went to hunt and it got pretty intimate you know I could scratch him behind the ear and, and, and this and that and, you know the buggy I was in was, was very small and they had sliding sliding windows off a, on a bus that slid sideways so he would he could take his claw and he could push the window open anytime he wanted to and stick his head in and, and have a visit he, he loves the smell of coffee you could tell he had that twinkle in his eye that, you know, he's, I'm sure he was almost as happy to see me as I was to see him. So I never felt threatened one, one bit from, from Dancer, and in fact, I used to get on the ground with him. So, it, you know, that, I, that was probably the stupidest thing to do ever, but I felt secure enough during those moments when nobody was around that, that I could go ahead and do it.
2: Dennis would park buggy one at the edge of the Hudson Bay during freeze-up. And there was no vegetation around, just short red willows and tundra moss.
1: To everybody else in the world, there's absolutely nothing there, and it's stark as stark can be. But, but being born and raised in Churchill and, and having used the land, it, it's it's quite beautiful. It's it's a different realm, if I can put it that way. You, you like step your step out of step out of one dimension into another it's you're right it's very desolate and with the wind makes it more eerie and the the slow pace of the of the bears and 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 this and that can really play with your senses uh i don't know how many people in this world have 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 uh lived through or or a arctic winter, yeah, you know, like 40 mile an hour winds and minus 30 below and everything's howling and creaking and, and uh, you know, you can't see too far out the windows. It's, it's an eerie feeling to begin with and it brings on, you know, some melancholy and maybe even a little bit of apprehension or fear that, that the, you know, the furnace is going to go out and you're going to freeze to death in your own little buggy.
2: Some nights it would feel cozy and beautiful, and some nights it would feel alone. And there was one night where it felt particularly alone.
1: So that night it was about two in the morning, and kind of a slump, I guess is what you call it, a little bit of depression and this and that, and, you know, uh, wondering what the hell you're doing out there in a freezing cold night like this. You know, my mind wandering a across wide open spaces, there is was a, a trickle of cold air on the back of my neck. I turned around and, and there was my pal Dancer, he had his head fully in the window and was just uh, looking at me, you know, without, without making any sound. He, uh, he was completely quiet. I was a bit confused about it because usually he's rambunctious as hell when he sticks his nose in the buggy he loved the smells in there but he was so quiet this time you know he it daunted me that he's you know he was intuitive he he could pick up on my my melancholy and, and, and my silence and my you know my stillness and uh, yeah he kind of he kind of absorbed that energy that I was going through and, and uh, it really it really you know, it makes you think, doesn't it?
2: But as desolate and isolated as it sometimes was, it was never long before there were people around, people wanting to get close to the bears.
1: The business of Fuller Bears in Churchill just took off like a rocket. I mean, in, in a matter of years, there was one buggy, the original buggy, one that I drove, and like... 10, 11 years later, there was 18 buggies going to the same area. So, you know, it was the, most of the time, the buggies were circling the bears. I, I think for the most part, some people are respectful and, and kept the noise down and stuff like that. But then you get, I know you guys are going to kill me down there, but you get these uh, <laughs> mid-America, farmers with John Deere hats on, sticking their head out the window, going, here, suey, suey. You know, like, it just just irked the hell out of me because he, you know, they just, they're acting like the bears were, you know, like a pig, you know, like or a cow, or, you know, they're just calling them this and that, and it, uh, it pissed me off. You know, the word got out that there was this crazy guy out along the coast who had this pet bear living beside him, and, and uh, it's quite the thing to see. So the tourists and the buggies would made a, make a point of dropping by where I was, had, had the camera buggy and uh, yell out the window, make him stand up, and this and that.
2: And this would happen often, that Dennis would be interacting with Dancer in some way, and a tourist bus would pull up, and then another and another, and sometimes they'd ask him to call him over or play peekaboo with him. And then one time Dennis noticed a small change in Dancer during one of those interactions.
1: There was two or three buggies around and Dancer was laying outside by my window and they were asking, you know, make him stand up and this and that. And he was looking at me. And so I went into this, the routine, come on, Dancer, get up, Dancer, come and see me, come and see me. And he just gave me a long look, and he just put his head down and and didn't move. And I thought, good, good for you. So I just shrugged my shoulders to the other people and said, no, it's not going to happen today. So they left, and uh, after they left, I stuck my head back out the window and said, hey, Dancer, what's wrong with you, man? And he just, then he popped up and come to the window and stood up for a scratch. So what happened is uh, I never, I've never seen Dancer for a while.
2: Dennis was back and forth to town, managing the webcam. And occasionally, he'd still take out groups of photographers and documentary filmmakers. And this one winter, it had been a long time since he'd seen Dancer.
1: I got hired from a film company out of Britain. Anyway, so off we went, and at the end of the day, about 3 o'clock, Way in the distance on the ice, there was this bear walking, and I recognized the walk, the gate, and I knew instantly it was Dancer. So I told the crew, I said, get your cameras ready. We're not, we're not finished yet. And I stuck my head out the window, and I called them. I said, come on, Dancer, let's go, come on, Dancer. And he was a good half mile away. And I have a very high-pitched squealy voice that I'm not too proud of, but anyway, he picked up on it, and he kind of just stopped dead in his tracks and looked toward the voice come, and then he just come towards me. Uh took him a long time to get to where we were. He was a slow walking guy, and he was cautious, but he recognized the voice. And when he got to the buggy, I was at the window and he, you know, he recognized me right away and I gave it about a one or two minutes, and then I stuck my head out and said, Come on, dancer, come on. And then he got up and jumped up into the window and I gave him a big nose scratch and and uh you know, that was a good me. It was a very, you know, it was uh, quite the meeting for me. And, and I just had a quiet conversation with him out the window. And he was my old friend again. And it was, almost brought me to my knees. Uh, but but I'm not going That that was the last time I was close to him. I'd seen him after that but I didn't want to bring any attention to him anymore. He's not, he's not a clown clown bear. He's a honest-to-goodness bear, and he, he's not going to do that anymore. So I seen him in the distance, but, I, but we never, uh, you know, interacted. Hmm. I didn't want to call him over or do that whole thing. It was too hard on me, and he didn't deserve that anymore.
2: What do you mean it was too hard on you?
1: Well, you know, I mean, uh it's hard to say goodbye. I know I'm I'm being a bit silly here about the whole thing, but it, it, truthfully, it you know, it's quite emotional, you know, when when you you find your old buddy bear again and uh, and you can't interact with him. Oh god, you're going to make me tear up now. But one of the guys stuck out the back and he shot it from on the deck where actually he got he got the footage of dancer jumping up and and me scratching him on the nose I knew that this would be our last encounter and and I would never do it again he just ambled away after you know I just closed the window on him and usually when I close the window our visits are over and he because he wasn't, he was on a mission to begin with. He was going somewhere when I called him over. He just continued going. We watched him disappear out into the ice.
0: for sharing your story with the snap and if you want more information on Dennis's work to help the polar bears you can check out our website snapjudgment.org special thanks as well to Yorick Bernson Lyra Silvertongue for securing access and to Lee Scoresby for his help with aerial footage the original score for this story was by Dirk Swartchoff it was produced by Anna Sussman In an hour? Are you kidding me? Yes. More journeys await. More movies of the mind. More cinema of sound. All available for free right now. If you act right now before the billionaires take it all for themselves, it's a tragedy you can prevent by subscribing to the Snap Judgment podcast. Snap's on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook. Snap is brought to you by the team that hasn't discovered the secret for playing outside in the snow. Except, of course, for the Urucer, Mr. Mark Ristich. See, he's from Michigan, so of course he knows that thermal underwear are a gift from the gods. There's Nancy Lopez, Pat Messina-Miller, Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, John Facile, Shayna Sheely, Taylor Depot Bo Walsh, Flo Wiley, Marissa Dodge, David Exame, Machina Barriaco, Annie Nguyen, and Zara Norbosh. Now then, no matter what you hear on these streets, don't let them fool you. This is not the news. No way is the news. In fact, you could dip yourself in delicious gravy, then try to run butt naked through the middle of a polar bear convention, and you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX.